What's up, what's up? This podcast is a little different, and it's my longest podcast, but I feel like this is necessary. I brought my wife, Jessica, on board, who has a master's degree in social justice, and I feel like she could really help me with this conversation. So it's about the shootings in El Paso and the shootings in Ohio Dayton, and we just shared our views on it, how to stop it, how we feel about it, and we've encountered you know, race issues and um, supremacist Thought patterns, thought patterns in real life, and just felt like we could really address this thing and and help people and really be a voice in this. So, um, hopefully, this podcast can be a light in a dark time and comforting to you, and just bring answers. Uh, so check it out after the sponsor, and we'll get right into it. What's up? My name is Trey Little and I got my wife Jessica with me and this is the first time that I'm doing something like this because I feel like I need to talk about this because usually my content is about different things and I try to avoid things that could be taken wrong or like that's political. But I feel like this is something that my followers will probably want to hear from me, my perspective. It just kind of offers some sort of comfort through this time of grieving because there's um, a lot of mass shootings going on. There was one at one in the morning. Um, and Dayton, Ohio, and there was another shooting in El Paso and Texas, and it was in a Walmart, and people are just loading up these machine guns and going and just doing all these mass shootings, and I feel like it's a time that we're living in America where a lot of stuff is coming out, and people are processing this in different ways, and for me, I've dealt with things like this, this kind of mentality of hate you know, towards people, whether you believe it's a target on minorities or immigrants or not, like, the one in El Paso, Texas was clearly targeted towards minorities. And I've been a victim of this kind of hatred. I won't really say victim because I've, I've always been someone that's been resilient and fighting back, but I've been around people with this mentality. And the dangerous thing is people believe these kind of shooters are just people in their bedrooms and nerd kids that don't have a life. No, a lot of these people are very brilliant. They can be lawyers, they can be pastors, they can be in politics and all these kind of things. So I got my wife with me and she, She's been frustrated about the whole thing. She wrote a poem that I really feel like should open us up in this um, video. And it just talks about a lot of the stuff that we're dealing with. And I think she said it really well. So uh, Jess, if you can just read the poem. Um, and I feel like it reflects everything that's going on really, really well. Sure. America, how am I to respect you? America, how am I to love you? Though my parents came here as immigrants from another land, I never saw you as my home. Though my whole life has been here, I never really knew you. Though I was born in you, I have no loyalty to die in you. America, you have such beauty, but you breed such ugly people who disgust me. Your people kill, your people bribe, your people deceive, your people manipulate. Your people have a culture that's rotten, that's ugly. You promote love of self, individuality, autonomy, financial success, white supremacy. What about empathy? What about love? What about anti-racism? What about diversity? What about world peace? America, oftentimes you disgust me. Your history is tragic. Your past is broken. Your future looks bleak. I'm sorry, America, but you did not raise me. You showed me everything I never wanted to become. You showed me improper laws and action, the wrong priorities of enforcement, you showed me what a broken society looks like, what racism rampant looks like. My roots are not in you. My culture is not from you. My history runs shallow in your existence. America, you are not great. I reject you. Your moral depravity is hideous. But 
I will help you, America. I will try to heal in America. I will be real in America. Because real is loud in a sea of fake. You need us, America. We can't just abandon America. We must make you better, America. If all the good flees, nothing golden will be left. Some will fight for a truly greater America. Some will die for a greater America. I hate, but I love you, America. I must remember, I am American. That's what's up. Thank you so much for doing that. And the reason I asked my wife to be in it is because I wanted to show, like, we live this life. And I'm a person that have relationships with people from different perspectives of life. So by no means necessary, I'm not trying to play the victim as a black person. People would assume that a lot. Um, and, you know, for me, that's not true. Could you uh, move your arms real quick? Because it's shaking mm-hmm. the uh, camera. Yeah. So what I try to do is, like, is show that, like, you know, for me, like, I don't never make excuses because me as a black man in America, I've never made excuses. Oh, well, I didn't grow up without a dad, so I'm going to kill Robin Still. Or, oh, I was born in a bad neighborhood. Yes, all these things are true, but my whole life has been spent trying to get out of this and pull other people out of this. So the stuff I'm going to say, I'm not you know, saying that black people are innocent in America because there is a lot of crime, there is a lot of ignorance, there is a lot of stuff that we need to be held accountable for. And I like to show that I have people who aren't black that can like, you know, come in and back. So my wife being from a family of immigrants from Lithuania, like she has a unique perspective as well. So here's my thing. I'm sure that all of us can agree. We might not say it with our mouths, but we can agree that minorities and black people specifically are the bottom of the social scale anywhere around the world you you go if you go to a africa like a lot of people are oppressed and this video isn't just about blacks but it's about minorities as well and you know you look at hispanics and the history in america with like the border and like people being uh put in like you know baths with gas to like protect America from germs and diseases that can come from Mexico. And you look at slaves being brought to America against their own will and having their whole identity stripped. And like, there's been this thing of like, I'm aware that when I'm walking around in certain neighborhoods and I'm a minority, I know how people are kind of like, and I can't assume everybody's motives, but I know I have to make people feel safe. Cause I've had incidents where I got pulled over by police, cop uh, was screaming at me and asked me where did I have a search warrant I was 15 years old didn't know what a search warrant was and um, don't have a criminal record yes I grew up in the streets and I did a lot of crime but um, you know changed my whole life in this way different married travel motivational speaker all that other stuff but the point is like this cop assumed that I was a criminal and he pulled me out arrested me put me in the back of his car and what I've noticed in life like I travel a lot and I'm in spaces to where I'm around upper class people with money and a lot of the times people are looking at me kind of weird because there's this perspective that I get as a black man and I just reflect a lot of people where people see us on the news and if if I'm in an area where there's success or even if I'm in like a rural area when I'm driving to do a show people haven't really experienced black people and they have these beliefs and views because they see us on the news or other minorities and then there's this thing that build up inside of them where it's like there's one of those people in person and like I said, I've been around a lot of people who've made jokes, no blacks allowed, um, racism doesn't exist, people in power, I'm talking about educated people with a platform of thousands of people have tried to tell me that I shouldn't be worried and that we need to get you know, Muslims out, out of America, we need to get Mexicans out of America, we need to send black people back to Africa. And there's this overall umbrella mentality that people who aren't you know, white in America 
And, you know, I won't even say from here because nobody's really from here but the Native Americans. But there's this person, there's this mentality that if you are against America and speak up against police, then you're evil and you're a threat to society. And not even just black people, but when you look at the Jews. So a lot of like supremacists um, can be even Christian because the shooting that just happened at the synagogue was against Jews because, you know, Jews were looked at as the people who persecuted Jesus. So this shooter, which people say is mental health, but this guy was very smart, very brilliant, published the article on his hate website that a lot of mass shooters post on, supposedly. And he talked about how he feels like he has to defend his country and kind of put those get people out of here that don't belong in the country. That's a threat to it. So my wife, you know, um, being, you know, half Polish and half Jewish, like, she could understand that, like, you know, what it's like to be someone who's targeted if you're not from here. You know, her family, her grand great grandparents fought in a war against Nazis and stuff like that. So being in America puts you in a position where you feel like you have no home if you don't agree with all of the laws and stuff. And like, you know, people will be quick to kind of throw you in like the liberal category. And I, I'm really not in politics. All I know is that I've been a victim of you know, these ideas. And the reason that these people do this is because they, they feel encouraged. They say there's this forum online where people get together and they talk about these different ideas. And some people say racism isn't a problem no more. But here's the thing. I have conversations with a lot of people that's like, why do black people kill so much? Why do they take free government assistance? Why do black people do this? Why do black people do that? And there's just this idea of us where we people got to get rid of us minorities and immigrants. And it's like, as long as we continue to allow that and try to cover up for it as a country, these things are going to continue to happen. And no, I'm not saying that, like I said, not all black people are innocent and immigrants. I'm not saying that there are some gangs and there are some criminals, but you got to look into the history of why these things exist. And I think until we can learn how to stand up against some things like and there. And, and I get it. I got friends who say. I don't like when people think because I'm a Trump supporter, I'm racist. And I can say I can understand it. The only thing is like when you're the person you look up to, like Trump, whenever he says something out of line, like calling Haiti, you know, uh, a horrible place, like a dump and all that. Like, I mean, which it is rough, but are you going to do something? Are you going to challenge that person's ideas? So me as a black man, when I'm hanging out with my family and, you know, they say stuff about you know, my wife, or they say something negative about white people, like, I have to step up and say, you know what, that's not true about all white people. So I think we need the, the solution to this thing, in my perspective, and I'll let my wife share some stuff as well. But the solution, in my opinion, is like, when we're sitting with people, and like, you got to understand, we're human beings, and you cannot get rid of immigrants or minorities, like a mass shooting is not even putting a dent, like, the birth rate of minorities is climbing. And you know, um, and like immigrants are still moving here. So unless you put us all in concentration camps and just kill us, like there's no way to get rid of us. So we have to be willing to understand that like, yo, we're not going nowhere. And these small little things, I've had people make these very harmful jokes. And, uh, but it wasn't just jokes because they were just little leaks of ideas that people had that were in power that I was like close to, you know, that I had to separate myself from. But the thing is we have to be willing to hold ourselves accountable and we have to be willing to speak out against these kind of things when we see, you know, people like Trump saying negative stuff or even people with these extremist ideas, you have to be willing to challenge that. And I think it's funny to call black people monkeys or, 
you know, um, or make these videos talking about how you will hang a black person. You got to be willing to stand up, even if you're not black or a minority. When I see, you know, my wife's people being persecuted by having their synagogue shot up, I have to be willing to step in and say, yo, that's wrong. And I stand against that. I have to be willing to march for women, women's rights. And it's just we have to be unified. Now, there's other people that say, you know what? Um, I don't fall. I fall in, in between. I'm not a supremacist, but I don't want to run around and fight for black and minority rights. Well, the thing is, you got to pick a side in a way because change doesn't happen by you kind of sitting on the sidelines. You have to get involved regardless if you want to or not. And you, you know what I mean? Because the majority are the people when you go into a corporate office, you might see two, three black people. And a lot of times we don't have a voice as minority. So we just need more voices. And, um, yeah, and I mean, that's what I think. I'm gonna let my wife share a little bit and kind of see what she think about more of like how you feel about what's going on and what you think the solution is. You can scoot that a little bit just yeah. to make sure. Like, how do you feel personally about it? And then what do you think that people need to do moving forward, you know? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I'm devastated. It's still really raw and emotional because the El Paso shooting was just can yesterday. Just a little bit? Yeah, and the Dayton shooting, like Trey said, was just this morning and you know, you think about it through your personal experience, but you also think about it as a mother, as a parent, like, wow, you know, this is the country that we live in. And so many nations have had zero mass shootings this year. You know, Mexico had three, Brazil had one, the UK had one, the US has had 249 just this year alone. So for me, it's kind of like what the poem was saying, we have to look at our society and like what is causing this, you know, because our history in America, I'm not talking about my history or I'm talking about just the history of America is very dark and it's rooted in colonization. It's rooted in racism. It's rooted in the people, in people who were trying to escape oppression from their lands because they the way they wanted to express their faithfulness to God was not accepted so they came here as pilgrims but a lot of times what we see in history is that the oppressed becomes the oppressor and that has never ended you know there's been no time in American history where racism wasn't a thing and it went more from being overt and legalized to covert and racism has gone underground now. So it's hard when you have events like this where you're like, wow, the connection is so there, but at the same time, does mainstream society see it? Why is racism not a forefront issue on the mind of our president? And I'm not even just talking about Trump and getting into him as a person. I'm talking about like racism and white supremacy, white nationalism is a real danger and threat to our country. It's internal terrorism, but because white people do it, it's not seen as terrorism because we've labeled terrorism as a Muslim thing. So there's a lot of power in propaganda, in myth-making, in stereotypes and in discourse, the things we say about our country or about people groups that gets disseminated and becomes the norm. And it's part of control. It's how cults operate too. You repeat the same thing enough times, 
people start to say it and you start to believe it. And we are just the greatest myth-making machine in the world. And America is a land people think of opportunity. And in certain ways, absolutely. I'm not discrediting all the freedoms we have and all the things that people have fought and died for. But America as a moral entity is very bankrupt. This is a very morally bankrupt nation as a norm. And in El Paso, I mean, you have a person who intentionally targeted an 80% Latino community. El Paso is 80, 80% Latino. It's 12 miles from Cuidad Juarez in Mexico. Like you can see Mexico on a clear day and intentionally went into a Walmart and targeted and killed people. That to me is just so sickening, you know, and kids had kids like were victims. You know, there's a six month old that had blood all over their stomach. And it, it just the thing to me is like, this is hate. This is hate. And when you hate enough, you when you have enough hate, you can kill. And that's, you know, in the Bible, it's like if you hate somebody, you've already in your heart almost committed murder. And for me, if you hate someone, that's danger in itself. And that's why I think racism is one of the dominant threats, not only in our culture and our country on a secular level, but on a spiritual level. You know, and some people think, oh, we focus too much on social justice in the church or whatever. I agree. I mean, Jesus has to be the center, but you need to have your congregation or whatever faith community you're a part of address the question of racism and the reality of racism, because our culture was the culture are. But when I say are, I mean America, because I am American. The culture here was built on racism. And if you study propaganda and the history of stereotypes and the history of racism in cartoons or in anything, you know, marketing, you'll see racism. And so we need to address that as a nation. But for me as an educator teaching, you know, an urban, an urban school setting, I've had kids that I've wondered about not that they could commit something on these levels, but I've had kids that I've worried about. And so my question is, how do we as educators assess kids, usually who've already been traumatized, because like I said, the oppressed becomes the oppressor. How do we assess kids who've been traumatized and try to work and rehabilitate them while they're young, talking like first, second, third grade, because I teach second grade as a teaching second grade, I already know, I can already not know because I'm not psychic, but I already can see some definite things that are going to play out in some of our kids' lives. And I don't say that in a powerless way. I say that in a way of, I recognize this trend and this trajectory of where your life is. And I try to step in and do what I can. But I'm one teacher. I'm one person. Yes, one person can change the world. Look at how on a flip side of a negative desk, desk, just depressing level, look how one person changed all those lives in El Paso and Dayton, right? So I do believe I can have still a positive impact and we all can have a positive impact enough to change, be one person that changes and has this ripple effect. But also you have to recognize the role of society 
and culture and what the trends are with certain children, okay? So I can see certain kids go on trajectories and I try to step in, rehabilitate, work with the family whatever way I can, but I have to play teacher, therapist, social worker, parent, you know, I have to do all that while still managing my own life. But my question is, how do we assess these kids and intervene in these kids' lives that we're already seeing concern about on an earlier level? Because I bet, and I'm not saying that my kids are capable of these things. I'm saying as an educator, you can see some red flags already of, oh, this kid has experienced this trauma. They might struggle in this way. Now look at kids, who, the people who were once children who were mass shooters. Are there any trends that we can see in their lives? And if so, what did we see as children? And how can educators step in? And some people say, you know, they were normal. I could never imagine they would have done this. I live in, you know, I lived right next to them. Whereas other people say they were very strange. They were um, socially not present. They were very weird. You know, and so, some people are just weird. Okay, I'm, I'm a little weird too. I get it. But there's a level that of weirdness that we can sense in children where we still have the ability to intervene. Once they're adults, they're capable of great harm. A child, sure, maybe in some capacity could go buy a gun and just shoot up a bunch of people, but that's really not fully likely. So how can we step in at an early age to, to try to rehabilitate, remediate these broken people so they're not capable of such great harm? And also, how do we incorporate anti-racism into every single school? I'm not just talking about majority black, majority white. Every school, how can we incorporate anti-racist training? You can call it whatever you want to call it. Maybe that's not the best term. But how can we have time in school, like at every grade level, where first the teachers go through a comprehensive anti-racist training, regardless of if their kids are white or black, but especially if they're white, because they need to counter their own white supremacist views. How can we incorporate this in America because it's a dire need? And how can we use that as an intervention and see if that counterbalances anything? But our society, our history in this country is, is so broken that you know, it's going to take a lot of work to really see healthier people in our society that don't go to such extreme measures to show how much they believe in their racist views. Or with the El Paso, uh, I'm sorry, with the Dayton shooting, you know, we still don't know the recent conclusions of why the shooter did what he did. We do know about six victims were black and three were white and one of those was his sister. And apparently she was dating a black male and who was killed, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yeah, some people jump on the more racialized assumption. I, t I, I admit my bias. I tend to jump on admitting, oh, maybe there's some racism there because racism, racism is so present and if you don't think it's present, it's because you're probably operating in so much privilege. You don't realize it's there. But once I married into this life with my husband, 
and then having a biracial child, it's un it's unavoidable at this point. And I'm a white person. Yes, I, I am Jewish, but you know, I don't walk around saying that to everybody. I literally can't, don't even feel safe, be, feel safe saying that in our society anymore. That's not to compare at all to the black struggle. It's really, you know, not comparable in a way, but that's just the times we live in. I literally don't feel comfortable telling people that. So, you know, racism is very real and it's important for every person to really read up on it and understand, you know, what does this term mean? Like just the semantics of like, what is racism? This isn't a whole conversation on racism. It's a reaction to the shootings. But I would encourage you to look that up, look up the history of your country, wherever you live, try to know the history of your, your city and try to understand like who is in power and what, what are their views and try to build, you know, alliances with people that you might agree with, you know, whether it's politically or just your value system. You might not be a very political person, but you might just have values. And I have values of building an anti-racist society, but it's laughable to try to build that in America in a way. Um, but still, you know, here we are. Yeah, and I was thanks for sharing all that. That was really good. And I'm sure we got a lot of stuff out of it and people watching too. Um, you kind of answered my question, but before we wrap up, because we got to go, um, I was going to ask, like, for the person that's like, you know, I'm a white person. I came here uh, poor or I live here poor, you know, and just like everybody else, like, why does everything have to be about minorities and immigrants? Um, I was going to ask, what would you say to them? But I feel like you covered it or like, man, why does this got to be about victims and all that? But I think Jessica already answered it. And, and another answer for me is like, if we don't address it, if you're just like, man, why is it always got to be about the immigrants and minorities? We're going to keep seeing this stuff happening. Yes, there's black on black crime because when people are in poverty and in close proximity with their people, they're going to continue to kill each other. You know what I mean? And like, there's a lot of trauma in the inner city and people like me and my wife and family, we're trying to get in and combat that. And we're not making excuses for people here at all. You know, yes, the killing got to stop in, in the hoods of America. Um, and that's a whole nother conversation, but we are trying to combat that as well. We're not making excuses for that. And also to find, uh, to close, what would you say for the person that's watching that's just like, how can I make a difference? I'm just a person that goes to work where I'm just a kid in school or like, I'm just a white person with no power, like, or I'm just a black person under pressure. What would you say like for just like in a couple minutes, like, or something real quick, what do you think that the average person can do? To, to help, you know, or to, to, to at least be aware or to fight against it. You already covered it, but just kind of the end on, you know. I think a lot of people think they don't have power, but we all have a lot of power. You might not have the power to make a million dollars by tomorrow, but you have the power to disseminate and share your thoughts through your words. And I think we overlook a lot of times what we say. And that is really how myths are spread through people groups is through our words. So I would be very attentive and intentional with the words you say. Like if you are black, you might, you know, you might want to rethink calling other black people the N-word because their history of that is something that, you know, I would argue can't be reclaimed. It's disempowering to your own people. You know, that's a simple 
thing. If you're white, you need to watch the jokes you make. I mean, do not make jokes about black people and chicken or can you swim or do you eat watermelon or, you know, if you see a woman who has a child that's biracial, don't ask her if your child's adopted. Just things like that, you know? Um, I would say, like, we have more power than we think. It's not maybe what you think of when you think of power, but that's the one thing I would say is, you know, really try to be more intentional about what you say and you will catch yourself making mistakes, but, you know, just have grace and move on. But also knowledge is power. So get informed, you know, read books, like read, like read, read about your people, read about history, read about culture, because if your mind is not above the times you will become the times mm. so let your mind be transformed and renewed not only you know for me being a christian by god's word but also if you study and understand trends and propaganda and history you can be a conscious person that doesn't just become what you don't even believe in let yourself rise above that and truly live out your values and get to become familiar and identify and name what those values are. My values are justice. My values are compassion. My values are living at peace with everyone. Name your values and try to live live by that and create a world, you know, in your sphere of influence that you have. It might just be in your neighborhood. It might be in your neighborhood and the cities you travel to. It might just be in your school, like if you don't get out much. Know your sphere of influence and don't try to dominate and control those people in that influence, sphere of influence, but be very attentive and conscious of yourself and the kind of world you're trying to create in the influence that you have. That's what I would say. Sweet. Thank you. All right. And that was it uh, for this video. But. Hopefully this speaks to some people. Thank y'all for watching this. Like I said, this is something different um, than I usually do. But uh, but I wanted to do something that was gonna really uh, be a voice in this. And I'm more than just an entertainer or a vlogger. Like I'm someone who's, who's a justice advocate and who cares about people, you know what I mean? And try to make difference using my influence. And I would be a fool if I didn't use my influence to speak on, uh, to help, you know what I mean? And be praying for these families. And even of the shooters, pray for them because, I mean, I'm sure it's hard for the parents, which, you know, uh, is another thing. And just pray for the victims as well. Comment below if y'all want to hear, if y'all got more questions, you know, let's talk. Let's not scream at each other and think we got the solutions. Let's ask questions, you know what I mean? And make sure y'all subscribe for more. And, yeah, just ask me any more questions. We'll try to get back on if we need to do a part two. Thank you so much for watching, y'all. Uh, we got to leave. And... Have a good day. God bless y'all. And just hang out with some people that's different than you and ask questions. Peace. Much love.